My name is Sydney Bristow. This week on Pop Points Podcast, we welcome back Shadia. We discuss the unique and comprehensive talents of J.J. Abrams, and we learn why MC's ex-boyfriends need to get a clue. You lure men to their death. This is Pop Points Podcast. Welcome to Pock Points Podcast. Uh, we're here in beautiful downtown Newport Beach, although it's uh, a chilly 64 degrees, frigid. I expect it to snow any second now. Um, and it's overcast and it's going to rain, hopefully. We, we always can use the rain in California. We're, um, we're going to salute the veterans today. We're going to talk just, just briefly that uh, we, how much we appreciate them and um, their service because we're recording this on November 12th, even though it won't drop for a couple weeks because uh, Mary Claire will be gone um, on her honeymoon, going to mm-hmm. exotic going locales. Going to Fiji, Tahiti, and New Zealand. Wow. <laughs> how, how, is Fiji and uh, – are they close? Yeah, they oh, are. Because I'm mm-hmm. – I cr- flight. I, I, oh, really? From New Zealand to Fiji. I, I suck at <laughs> From geography. Here, Fiji to – we're flying out of LAX. It's about 10 hours. Wow. Wow. So, uh, again, we appreciate our veterans' contributions, and um, I mean, uh, we talk about our emotional scars as screenwriters, but these are physical scars that these guys and and, uh, women have to deal with, so um, we we would like to make sure that you understand we do appreciate your your contributions. Um, Today, Toby is still in Chicago at his uh, film festival, which I think just ended today. Where it's actually snowing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was. He sent some video of uh, of uh, the the dusting of snow, mm-hmm. which, I, well, anyway. Uh, and then, so instead, we've got our our wonderful Shadia Sapernia in the in the house. Now, did I say your that was right? There, he finally. It, it only took it. me two years or three years. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and you spell it now. Yeah. <laughs> S- uh, a and then it ends in a. Yeah. Um, we also I want to talk a little bit about our event. Uh, the OC screenwriters had um, Professor Frank Chindamo, uh speak to us about viral videos and uh, getting above the noise and the fact that if you're doing videos, uh, you don't necessarily need an agent because you could go viral. Uh, he, some of the stories he had I thought were amazing about some of the successes. People are making like twenty and thirty million dollars mm. on these things. It's incredible. What what. How'd you guys like the uh, event? Yeah, I, I thought he was great. I mean, really, really engaging overall. You know, he was comfortable in front of a large audience because he does teach, but he really knows his material as well, which was uh, impressive. I had many people say, like, he was inspiring. Um, I even looked at uh, my husband, Mike, was there as well. And I was yeah, kind of was like, great. Uh, like, what are we going to do on YouTube? Like, <laughs> we need to make some money. And he was like, why don't you finish one script? <laughs> I was like, okay, fair enough. Oh, Mike, I love you. Thank you very um, much. But um, but I really enjoyed it overall. So it was uh, it was great to be around, kind of like minded people. But also, again, I, I don't think this is a subject that's covered as widely. Um, and so it was really really interesting. Mm. Yeah, um, I thought it was really uh, informative. I learned a lot. Um, I'm not on YouTube as much, so I'm not as familiar with all like the cat videos and and that I'm whole. Missing v- out. I know I am. <laughs> I'm a. But you How upload all of your you? stuff to YouTube. I do, I, which is funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do p- upload a lot of things to YouTube, but I'm not in the know about all, like, what's going viral and, and the videos necessarily. So it really opened my eyes to, like, maybe I need to be more exposed to this sort of thing. So mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. and yeah. he provided the education as to how um you know we kind of talked about the why but also the how which is you know really getting sort of that engagement and participation putting something that's evergreen out there um and then also you know trying to approach tastemakers also so right yeah good right he had some good i thought he had three what were the three tips he had for I just listed them yeah <laughs> so they were oh you did them all? okay well no so they were evergreen participation tastemakers then he added the last one which was the spectacle, spectacle. Mm-hmm. yeah and he said i think he kind of overwhelmingly said that uh funny yeah, gets a better response because mm-hmm. people share that and yeah. uh, stuff. Um, 
Yeah, so that was all great. I um, This, again, was through OC Screenwriters, which we're all members of. And um, we, we try to bring these resources to people. So the next one will probably be in 2018. But I'm going to try to get a better slate of um, of consistent events going. So maybe six next year I'm going to try. It's a lot of work. I mean, as you can imagine, there's a lot to lot to put to put together. And then we also announced um, we we did a thing called Make It Real a couple years ago, where the winner of the contest, the script contest, the short script, got their film made by us. And um, so that's a great uh, opportunity because you don't have to do anything except write a great script. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll be talking about that more down the down the road. Um, but I thought I thought the event went well. Mm-hmm. We had a great time. It's always a lot of fun, and I was happy to see uh, the people. I was happy to see Mike there. That's the first one he's ever been to, and I didn't realize he did a lot of um, like stuff with video and stuff. Well, like he's so he's in growth and acquisition marketing. So for our organization, you know, we have an app, so we're always looking to acquire users, you know, downloads, engagement, etc. So he works with. Yeah, all the bigger players, like all the different channels, like Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube. So he works with them as outside vendors oh, in wow. terms of um, yeah, generating content and um, and then also engaging with our users overall. Um, so he's really good at it. Yeah, they've had a few big months overall. Like our customer service team working very hard to answer, you know, to deal with all of these new users. So um, really, uh, an attribute. Fantastic. To, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get into uh, this new segment, and Shadia keeps knocking off the mic. That's okay, Dob. Don't worry about it. Uh, the what I I just wanted to briefly cover. This is astounding to me that there are so many women coming out of the woodwork um, talking about their sexual uh, harassment experiences with so many filmmakers. And I mean, Louis C.K. just got. He, it's a real bummer. Everything. Four, <clears throat> I know four of his <clears throat> projects went away. Plus, I Kevin think... Kevin Spacey got removed from a film that I he know, was in. They I replaced know. him and reshot all of them. Yeah, with like, uh, Christopher, uh, Christopher Plummer. Plummer mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, un- the f- unfortunate or thing, well, I don't know. Uh, that was really Scott's first choice for that role, by the way. But Plummer, Plummer. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Plummer wouldn't do it. But, so let me ask you guys. Do you think this is going to lead to a real sea change in the way that, um, that uh, women are approached in... In the movies, or do you think it's a temporary thing? Um, I mean, that's a really interesting question because I was reading online that Chris Rock actually got in a little bit of trouble because in his stand-up, he actually he mentioned that, that, okay, now I'm going to be a lot more wary of hiring women. And oh my God. he was pretty much blasted by the audience. Um, and I think it's an important question to ask now. I hope that doesn't happen because that's really unfair if it did because these women, that women don't get hired because yeah because of... these women especially the ones that were harassed by like louis ck and harvey weinstein they weren't you know they shouldn't be held responsible they were victims right but i think what happens uh from a from anybody's perspective it's like the idea that i've been ripped off a bunch of times by film companies but I don't. I don't sue anybody because once you're uh, once you're mm-hmm. perceived as being litigious, you don't get hired anymore. And and Hollywood's so risk averse uh, for so many things. And so I think that's what he was talking about. And I, I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case. No, I think men, especially the ones who are being hired in these executive positions, these are the people that need to be. Um, probably more balanced i would say um they, well, it attracts a lot that, of egotistical power it, it hungry does, but i don't think it's women that should bear the brunt of no this. i agreed. think men are the one that need to be more in check of how they behave in front of women and um what they're putting out there and I that's agree. what i think that's what you hope will change is is yeah. the behavior now that more and more women and men are coming forward in terms of sexual harassment uh because i think you know, it's hard. We talked about this before, but there is sort of that deep sense of shame that comes alongside of sexual harassment. Did I bring this on myself? I was young. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, you know, did something to encourage it. And now it, taking a look back, it's sort of like, no, I don't have to take it. I'm older. I know that that wasn't right. And so, I mean, I'm hoping that more and more people will come forward because I do think I'm that. I'm sure they will. Every day. Yeah. Every day oh, yeah. there's somebody yeah. new. It's and like, yeah. um, and it's, it's really disappointing because, yeah, you would hope when you are in those positions of power that you would wield it. Um, you know, in a way that's respectful and uh, not illegal. But uh, is it, so. is it, is it, it's not just film, right? I mean, oh, I'm sure it's it, not. but I mean, is corporate America more sensitive to it 
than Hollywood has been, and so sure. is it. Is it just going to even the? Is it going to even out a little bit? Is is corporate America or is I Hollywood? I don't know come... if they have HR people on site um, or on oh, set. Of course. You know? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, they're doing a terrible job. <laughs> like I'm just saying. I mean, like, um, you know, we have a bigger HR team at my organization. I mean, that's and they're really really careful about all of that. I mean, everything is recorded, and so who knows? I mean, it feels like it's a failure on that level as well. But, um, but... well, some of these claims though. Uh, to be fair, are years ago. So maybe HR is doing a better job now. Uh, they just didn't back in the day mm-hmm. because there was no HR to, to speak of. I mean, HR, when I was coming up, there was no HR. I, well, there probably was, but not like, mm-hmm. you know, you the uh, what you guys are doing. So, okay. So uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate your uh, your commentary on that. Um, so now we're going to do a uh, our segment on what are we watching? Um, I am watching nothing. <laughs> just haven't had time. No, actually, actually, that's maybe why I was thinking of the sure thing is because I wanted to talk about that. But let me let me go to you guys first. So let's go to our guest, Shadia. Okay. What do you think? Um, I just finished watching The Night of. Um, a little bit behind, but I think because <laughs> the Emmys and all that, um, I figured okay, the I, Emmys were a while ago. The Emmys no. <laughs> were a while ago. That's true, but I'm it's kidding. still on my mind. And I thought, hey, this is an HBO show. Mm-hmm. I need to go back to, and I did. Um, which was a very dark series. It was a. It's not going to be going on, or there's not going to be a second season, but it's basically a short series, and um. I think the reason why I watched it was the talent attached to mm-hmm. it was Riz Ahmed and, and Steven Zalian and Totoro. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, James Gandolfini is the producer on that, too, which is really interesting. But um, it's a very dark show. And I think there's a lot of elements to it that are really worth watching. Um, and it's only eight episodes. So it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, if you want to see good directing, good writing, good acting, it's all in there. And HBO always does it right. So. Yeah, HBO. Uh, HBO is amazing. You know, at one time they were buying uh, like B-movies to fill their slates. Mm-hmm. They were buying bad – I'm talking about bad B-movies. Not, not I even, remember that. <laughs> and all of a sudden they turned up this – they yeah. turned up the volume and yeah, they really content. kicked ass. It's really it's impressive. It, very, yeah, I like The Night Of. I thought – I mean, they do suspense really well. That first episode is right. so intense. Yeah. Um, it punches you in your gut, you know? I mean, you feel it the entire yeah. time you're watching it. Um, and yeah, Riz Ahmed and John Turturro are really, really excellent. And the Rose, yeah, Riz Ahmed won the Emmy for, yeah, for, his, <laughs> for his work in the show. And I think Turturro won maybe the Golden Globe. But, um, Turturro's great. Yeah, but uh, but really well done. The writing is great. Um, but also the prison stuff is also really, really excellent. There was actually somebody in our class that was writing uh, sort of like a prison comedy right. drama. And I encouraged him to watch The Night Up because I thought, um, you know, kind of the, those scenes and uh, the experience of the, this kid um, in, I think he's in Rikers. Yeah, Rikers. Yeah, but it felt really real and interesting, and it was the a new angle on Jill. Was incredible. I know, um, and so it was. Uh, that was a hard show to watch, but I did. I, I finished it also and thought um, that it was really great. Okay, uh, MC, what are you watching? So I just saw last night, Mike and I did kind of like a dinner and a movie, and we went and saw, I made him go see Murder on the Orient Express, which he was not familiar with, didn't know it was a remake or a book. Oh (laughs) my God. Wow. um, um, Mike. But I I like sort of those, we talked about this last week where, um, you know, Christmas is maybe, or holidays are associated with like the bigger pictures, um, like Star Wars. Or even for me, it was like Harry Potter or Lord yeah. of the Rings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and I, or, you know, some of these bigger musicals like Chicago or Nine. And so I was excited to see more Murder on the Orient Express. That's kind of what I, a movie I would associate with the holidays as well. Um, Why? Because of the scope picture. of it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ensemble, yeah. big picture, like very sumptuous, um, lavish. Feast for the uh, eyes. Yeah, exactly. And so I was excited to see it. And it was shot 55 millimeter, or 65 millimeter, I think. Uh, 70 millimeter. No, it was 65. 65? Uh, yeah, millimeter format. Um, so um, so it was really, really – maybe it's 55. I don't know, but it's something. It's what, whatever it takes, right? Yeah, it's, it was great. Um, <laughs> but I like um, a murder mystery too. Those are – I like that genre um, where everybody's a suspect. Everybody yeah. has a different motive. And I, I like the ensemble too. working together. Um, and I think this the, the payoff is still – is a good payoff overall in terms of sort of the whodunit. Um I, I think it felt a little flat for me, but um, but I still think it is a reasonably faithful adaption and, and definitely worth viewing. Mm. So, yeah, I, I love everybody in it. I love Kenneth Branagh. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I would like him as Hercule Hercule Poirot. <laughs> 
because uh, I have a such a over the top. But. Well, <laughs> I mean, I have such a David Suchet. He did the series for how many okay. years, and then he quit, and then he came back. So it would be hard for me to accept. Well, him. Albert Finney does it in the original, and he sort of—I feel like he was—he uh, was excellent, but uh, sometimes he was sort of hard to understand. Mm. <laughs> and so I was like, "What's he saying? We need subtitles on this." But um, but uh, Kenneth Branagh, I think, does a really good. I mean, he's, he's very, a great actor. very over the top. Like yeah. he's sort of chewing up the scenery. I like that though. <laughs> I got into it. Uh, like well, I want to be there with him. You know, sort of like twirling a mustache too so and it all uh, takes place on a train right yeah right uh-huh. see i love that too yeah, yeah one location yeah. one location yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. those are they're hard to do i think agatha christie was was fantastic with mm-hmm. that a lot of her uh what do they call them tea cozy yeah. mysteries or something like that uh all took place in a room or a mansion or, or something like that so um well those, those are great uh, i watched uh for class i signed my intro class the movie the sure thing with john cusack and uh, daphne zuninga and this movie uh, was Rob Reiner's first um, attempt at a feature after This Is Spinal Tap. So mm-hmm. it's it was it's one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time. Yeah, uh, Cusack I found out was 16 at the time, and uh, Reiner didn't want to work with him, and because he was so young, and then and Cusack apparently went to court with one of the producers and got emancipated. So that he could be in the movie, and then the producer became his legal guardian for that period of time. And uh, I mean, it was—it's—it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, if you've never seen it, I mean, it doesn't—I think it holds up pretty well because it, nothing in there is really startling. The, I mean, the culture, the college culture, is pretty much the same as it as it is today. Uh, there's nothing about their their road trip or their journey. It just has some really uh, it, those those the, the acting, the writing, the producing, the directing. It all falls together. There's so. a lot of really great character moments in there that I really love, and it's easy to say like these two characters are kind of stereotypes in a way. But they, they may be now. They I don't think they, they were back then. They could be considered now. But I just think like what happens on their journey and how they change and how they force each other to change and the back and forth. Absolutely. It's really original and it's just a great watch. Well, it was written by two writers. Uh, I can't remember their first names, but uh, one was right. It was uh, responsible for James and the Giant Peach. And the other one had written uh, oh, the wow. Hunch- Huh? No, it was Bloom. <laughs> it was uh, the screenwriter. Oh. Smart ass. Got it. Um, one had written The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Lion King, and Once Bitten. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Robert. I feel like there are a lot of different people on The Lion King, so maybe not. Uh, well, he's listed as one of the writers. Yeah. So anyway, I could find out who it is. Well, here it is right here. Stephen L. Bloom and Jonathan Roberts. So Bloom was responsible for James and the Giant Peach and Roberts for the other stuff. So. They're all good movies. Absolutely, absolutely. And and uh, as it turned out, um, um What's his name? Rob Reiner turned out to be an excellent director. Mm-hmm. His, uh, his. What was his name of his production company? Uh, oh God. Okay. Never. Castle Rock. Castle Rock. Oh, That's oh, yeah. it. That was it. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to slide into uh, a quick discussion on our guilty pleasures or underappreciated films or TV. Let's start with MC because she's picking lint off of her shirt. So I just thought, thought I. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So, because I saw the murder, uh, murder on the Orient Express, I thought it was uh, it tied really nicely into a movie that I think now it's it's kind of getting its uh, due. But when I was younger, um, I probably like eleven or twelve, I stumbled upon this movie on Comedy Central. It used to play on Comedy Central all the time uh, when I was younger, and. Um, it's the movie Clue, <laughs> which Clue. is based on the board game. <laughs> um, classic. Um, it really is. Like, now I think it has sort of a devoted cult following, mm-hmm. but the plot itself, I mean, it's easily summed up as, as the game. You know, a group of strangers are invited to a mysterious dinner party. The host is murdered, and they have to figure out who did it, where, and with what weapon. Um, <laughs> so it's a really simple <laughs> present, or premise, but, um, but uh, it's hilarious. I mean, the dialogue is... Nonstop. I mean, it's sort of like quip after quip after after quip, and it's um also has you know sort of the elements of physical comedy as well, and it's it's really one of my favorites. And so whenever I talk about Clue, you know, I get kind of like one of two reactions: people are like, "Amazing, amazing film," and start to quote the dialogue, and then other people are like, "I'm sorry, what?" Yeah, <laughs> I'm in that second category, by <laughs> the way. But also, a lot of times, I feel like the people who are like, "I'm sorry, what?" have not seen it or have not seen it in a really long time and don't understand it. 
I used to force like ex boyfriends to watch it, and then I would judge them based on whether they liked it or not. <laughs> Good time. Good time. Um, the Mary yeah, Claire. Most of them failed <laughs> miserably. Um, this is how much I love Mike. I didn't even make him watch it because I Aww. knew he wouldn't get it, and I didn't care. Uh, but for the other ones, uh, yeah, there's clear judgment after it. But um, but it's well, one the- of my favorites. I watch it probably honestly once every two weeks. Um, oh my god! I have it on in the background because I just think it's it's genius overall. Well, the I think the issue with Clue was when it was released, it had several different endings. Yeah, three different endings. And so um, people people treated it as a, a gimmick. Uh, movie. Yeah, Robert Roger Ebert was like, "How do I like analyze this or review this? Like, which one of the endings are we going to work with here?" I love that though. There's on the DVD option, you can play all three. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and so, um, and I think all three endings work honestly as well. But um, but yeah, there was um, so I think that that was initially like because people would walk away having seen different endings with different killers. So you know, it wasn't maybe it's a really shared experience uh, yeah. when you were discussing the film. Well, I, and I'm, I'm even though I've done that, I did a script called Execution where that had. Uh, three different endings because I couldn't figure out which one I liked. I, I think it's kind of a cheat. I, I feel like you should pick the ending that you feel most strongly about. But it, yeah. it, it's not really a serious film. It's, right? like it's not. No, not at all. Too, exactly. So. And that's why it doesn't take itself seriously. Yeah. But also it's based on the game where a variety yeah. of different things can uh, happen and work. Um, that makes it exciting. Mm-hmm. But I yeah, mean, but in Clue, when you played the game, there was only one solution. I don't know what the hell you're talking no, about. No, yeah, at the end. But you could play again and it would be a different Mr. solution. M- uh, Professor Mustard yeah. and with the wrench. Colonel and the... Mustard. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the movie Clue, but it reminds oh, me a lot of Gosford Park. Oh, yeah, and I love Gosford Park. Which as well. is why mm-hmm. I need to watch it because I love the whole like mystery mm-hmm. and the characters and how they can be kind of exaggerated. So I know it's definitely yeah. And I, I again, I love Gosford Park also. Yeah. So it's a little bit mm-hmm. more um, hoity-toity than I love it. <laughs> if you like all those, you should maybe try uh, a TV series called Midsummer Murders, which is, is that, a, that British. It's a British. I think uh, you showed that to me before. It's it's been running for mm-hmm. years, thirteen years or something like that. But it's kind of one of those co- uh, tea cozy uh, murder situations. Actually, if, if there were that many murders happening in this area, it would be the murder capital of the planet because there, everybody dies in this place. So <laughs> it's like inviting Jessica Fletcher from uh, from Murder She Wrote mm-hmm. to a party. Somebody dies, right? So, okay, well, uh, is, so that is not a guilty pleasure. That is a underappreciated film for you. Under, I think. I think both. both. I mean, I watch it all the time, but um, but yeah, I, I do think it's underrated. But like I said, I do think it's getting its its due. I mean, if you really watch it, I mean, it is it, all the elements. Like I said, of comedy are there. Like the dialogue is really rapid fire. Like I've tried to get my hand on on, on the scripts on the script for a little bit, and it really is like it's it's a ton of dialogue mm-hmm. um, overall, and it's really really smart dialogue, and every character is very like well rounded, and um, and so. Definitely a recommend. Well, this also makes me think that the script that you were working on in class, oh, yeah, the, the that makes game. some sense. That's, that's ah, one of my, yeah. that's my such favorite your, book. Yeah, my right. favorite book is The Westing Game, which is another murder mystery. <laughs> yeah. um, with a, with was, an ensemble cast. With yeah. an ensemble cast, and I was trying to write it. They're really difficult to write overall, but um, yeah. but that is because you know every. I mean, there are tons and tons of characters. Again, you try to make yeah. sure that everybody kind of gets – um, even a mini arc or has a motive and so, and how they how, develop relationships alongside of one another. And so I struggled writing that and I don't think maybe the class was the right medium for that type of, of script, but, um, but yeah, Mm-mm-mm-mm. the class is always the right medium for any type of script. Don't be I mean, making... people didn't like it. So it was kind of like, everybody was like really frustrated week after week reading it. Cause it was hard to keep up with. You know, That's I was not only... true. I, I liked it. I liked it. I thought a lot of people liked it. That I got. But, but honestly, it's because it was like, it was, you know, seven to 10 pages. It's hard to really keep up with every single character. Like every week I was sort of saying, you know, these are who those characters are again. This is, you know, it's just hard mm-hmm. to get through the, all their interactions because it's so dialogue heavy. Well, I wish um, you would have talked to me about it before mm-hmm. you decided not to work mm-hmm. on it anymore. Cause we could have fixed that. So, but, that's what I do. Okay. Anyway, Shadia, what do you? Uh, what's your guilty pleasure underappreciated mm, film? Okay. So my guilty pleasure slash comfort food type of movie. Whenever I want to go back to something, is always Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie from childhood. Um, Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue, Chris Columbus, first Directing. time director. I love that movie too. And he was a screenwriter for Goonies. Well. And uh, Gremlins, so he's a really great writer, um, producer, director. Mm-hmm. This was his first time directing, and I just love those type of Odyssey movies where you start one place and you end up mm-hmm. completely different, and it's kind of a 
crazy hijinks movie kind of reminds me of like um, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle or Wizard of Oz where you don't know what's going to happen and it almost doesn't really matter what happens. No matter how crazy the story gets, you're so invested in Mm -hmm. these characters that you'll be like, okay, take me anywhere because it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And there's so many great actors, Elizabeth Elizabeth Shue, Anthony Rapp, um, Bradley Whitford, Vincent D'Onofrio. There's all these (laughs) Bradley Whitford is in Yeah, he's the jerk boyfriend. Yeah, Yeah. he's the jerk boyfriend. I haven't seen it in so many years. It's definitely worth a watch again because it's one of those movies you watch when you're a kid you don't take seriously and you watch it in adulthood and you're like, wow, I had really good taste. (laughs) (laughs) This is worth it. Yeah, at one time Chris Columbus was really kicking ass. He, He, yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. he did the first Mm -hmm. two. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Big, big projects overall. Mrs. Doubtfire. Home Alone. Yeah, (laughs) Home Alone. That's true. A lot of she's a Chicago guy. Yeah. Um, which is like that's yeah, she's a babysitter. That's like my favorite part about. I mean, I love the characters and the story and all the obstacles and hijinks that they get themselves into. Like, there's literally obstacle after obstacle. Um, I know. I always think about the babysitting blues, like (laughs) when uh, when I'm listening to jazz or anything. The jazz is. Um, it's yeah. a great backdrop. But, um, but it's yeah. fun to see it against the backdrop yeah. of Chicago. Um, and they just re- they just remade it. Um, on, oh, for don't Disney, tell I know, me on that. Disney movie. No. I, never, I didn't watch it, but it was on the Disney Channel recently. Um, but I think they had some of the old actors come to to, to see it at the premiere. But, yeah. yeah, can't replace the original. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, did I talk about the sure thing already? Yes. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> I couldn't remember because I think I talked about it earlier when we were just talking, but – Okay, so my focus this week is J.J. Uh, Abrams, which even I was amazed by his accomplishments, even though I knew a lot about him. Uh, I met him once a while ago at Paramount Studios just when he was working on Alias, and uh, I had no idea he was going to be this this massive. But uh, anybody know what is the J.J. stands for? Yikes. Nope. Jeffrey Jacob Abrams. Um, his mo- mother and father were both in television. His dad actually has 75 TV movies done and a ton of uh, Emmy and equivalent awards. Um, and his mom was an executive producer, uh, and actually his sister is a screenwriter, Tracy Rosen. So I, I just could imagine what their dis- Christmas mm-hmm. dinner conversations must be like. You know, like you shouldn't have put that scene in there, and you know, it, it would have worked so much better with blank and blank and blank. So. Um, at the age of 15, Abrams wrote the music for a 1982 trauma film. You guys know what, who trauma is? That's a function of your age. But uh, trauma at one time was like one of the biggest uh, B minus or C movies on the planet. You know, they did uh, – you should look them up, but I'm not going to go through it. But, man, they were they were huge. Um, and so the, the log line for this film was a creature from outer space crash lands in a small town and starts killing people. I mean, how much more basic <laughs> can you get? Um, Abrams attended and graduated from Sarah Lawrence College. Uh, he, he, James Gunn, uh, the writer and director of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, got their studio, got their, um, their start at Troma, which was, um, like, like I said, one of those like, kind of like a Corman-esque uh, situation. So um, Abrams, in during his senior year at Sarah Lawrence, wrote a treatment, uh, Taking Care of Business, and they, that was his first produced film with Charles, Gro- Cro- Charles Grodin and James Belushi. And then in 1991, I didn't know this, he wrote regarding Henry with um, uh, b- 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 Harrison Ford and then Forever Young starring Mel Gibson. I mean he was kicking butt way, way back mm-hmm. when in the day. Um, he was so young at the time, he actually played a delivery boy in Regarding Henry. That's how young he either was or looked. Um, then he did a bunch as producer, and like he did like The Paul Bearer, Gone Fishing. Uh, he, did, he worked on the film Armageddon in 1998. Uh, he did a film called The Suburbans, and then Joyride, which was my first exposure uh, where, the, where he moved the needle. You saw Joyride? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is a great movie. But did you ever see the Lily Sobieski movie? Did you ever see Duel? No. Oh, Duel, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and he's a big Spielberg fan, so he he basically copied, not copied, but homage. Yeah, we kind of modernized it too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Of course, of course. Uh, Dennis Weaver was the original actor in there, and he was. I mean, the cars looked like they were tanks and stuff. So. Um, I think, uh, well, Duel was, uh, both Duel and Joyride were great. 
Um, but Abrams really began to hit his stride when he developed the series Felicity, which I never saw. Didn't I love Felicity. I loved it, it too. I love Carrie Russell. <laughs> yeah, so. I love her. Yeah. But it is so good. That was like we, we were at that age yeah. probably where we idolized her and wanted to be Felicity. Felicity. Well, plus, I think it, uh, I think more women would probably spark to Felicity mm-hmm. than men. And that was executive produced by Ron Gra- uh, Brian Grazer and Ron Howard. So those two had something. We'll have to do uh, a Grazer-Howard uh, thing too. Um, it also marked the beginning of Abrams as a director because he directed some of those episodes. In 2007, Felicity was one of Time Magazine's all-time 100 best TV mm-hmm. shows, and Entertainment Weekly named it uh, named Felicity Porter, the character, one of the 100 greatest, 100 greatest characters of the last 20 years. So it was it was a, a huge success. But it's such an odd show considering what Abrams is known for now, mm-hmm. which is a lot of horror sci-fi adventure stuff which felicity isn't right it was very much about like relationships and character it's coming of age i mean coming of age Mm -hmm. did it and it took place in in her at college yeah i mean the 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 pilot starts with her i think she's scheduled she's in high school and she's graduating and she's about to go to it's either stanford or berkeley i can't is it yeah. yeah and um but she's had a crush on this one guy in high school for four years and he is going to NYU and he ends up saying I forget what he it, writes in her yearbook, yearbook of mm-hmm. like I've always wanted to know you but I never did but um you so know she changes career she changes her complete New York. life trajectory mm-hmm. in a blink of an instant and I think that's why so many girls love this show mm-hmm. it's because you ask yourself that same question would I ever do mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. a really good premise so um Number that was number ten, nine, and eight. This this countdown thing is just not working out for me, so I have to figure something else out. Um, I think most people became really became of Abrams with the show Alias, uh, which started. I didn't know he did Felicity. Now that you're saying that, but <laughs> Alias was my first like real. Well, that's, and Jennifer to, Garner and, and made a start. Like, yeah. I remember seeing that because it's Bad Robot, right? The yeah. his production company. Like, yeah. and so I loved Alias as well. I only saw a couple episodes. I thought it was interesting. I didn't love it um, as a show for me, but um, I thought, it, man, you know, I, I know it made a star of a bunch of people, and it's oh, certainly of yeah. him. Um, and I, I think he, he writes great female characters, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's probably why he has such great success, because he really does talk to a lot an audience of both men and right. women, right? Well, um, a- a- Alias was... Uh, was the American Film Institute's uh, top ten list for television programs in 2003. It was a a really well-received show. It went five seasons, won a ton of awards, Mm -hmm. um, as well as uh, Saturn Awards, which are sci-fi. Saturn Awards are the science fiction, uh, fantasy, and horror films academy, so that's kind of like the equivalent of the top uh, honor in that that genre. Number six, um, again... For me, I think, you know, he really, he topped himself with Lost, right? Oh, my God. I love Lost so much. That? Yeah, how did I forget oh that? Wait, he's done all my favorite That's things? My favorite. <laughs> um, okay. I still remember sobbing hysterically through the Lost finale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I was obsessed with There were so many That's good great. characters on I that show. I think Lost show. is the best one. I love done. that show so, yeah, so much. How did I forget that was just from it, it ran for six um, six seasons, and I oh. thought it, well, it really popularized serialized TV. Even though 24 and Twin Peaks had mm-hmm. done something like it, I think this – you know why I didn't watch Lost? It oh, had nothing oh. to do with anything mm-hmm. except I went through the X-Files. I went through nine seasons of the X-Files, and at the end, I was unsatisfied with yeah. the resolution. And I That's figured true. if I get involved with Lost and they do the same thing to me that they did in the X-Files yeah. – well- I find it, I mean, the journey is what's so satisfying about it. Honestly, those characters, you're in love with every single one of those characters. Um, They're focused on each episode. I mean, it's it's so, it's like astounding TV. It's so moving. I had a friend recently who just said, like, I started Lost, and she was like, I can't believe I missed out on it for so long. I was like, I know it. Like, I feel like it's a part of me. Yeah, for sure. The Lost community is insane. Like, it's a very intense community. Um, still going on. Still going on, yeah. I mean, it is. There are so many different Easter eggs in each different episode. Um, there's so much love for all of those those characters, truly. Like, and I, I was okay with the ending overall, but again, it yeah. never really mattered to me, honestly. Like, I was always with Lost, no matter That's what. So. Yeah, I agree. I think the destination isn't what matters. Mm-hmm. That just shows how great the show mm-hmm. was, was mm-hmm. that the writing, the acting, Ugh, so good. 
all of it was just every single episode was so satisfying that I know a lot of people were upset about like polar bears and random time <laughs> sequence jumps that didn't make any sense whatsoever, which is true in the big picture, but it's still a really it really doesn't show. there are so many good character moments in in that series. Like so many there I've are. cried so many times through watching through that series. But again that I just remember that series finale, like and then I would get it together during a commercial break and then it would come back and I'd immediately start crying again. Like it was just so emotional because that's because that's because it was ending. Yeah. Exactly. So right. I just yeah. say goodbye to all those characters right. who loved so much. So what's what not widely known is that the series was not created by Abrams. Um, it wasn't his idea. It wasn't his idea. He he wrote the pilot, but the idea came from uh, Lloyd Brom, who was the head of ABC at the time, at, while he was on vacation in Hawaii, and he thought about a cross between uh, the movie Castaway and the mm-hmm. popular reality show Survivor. And so Braun later pitched his ideas to the network's gathering of executives at the Grand California Hotel, describing the concept as part castaway survivor in Gilligan's Island with a Lord of the Flies element Mm -hmm. thrown in. Um, And then a lot of people resisted it, but uh, they turned to um, Spelling Television, picked it up, and they turned to Abrams and uh, somebody else, and I can't find it on this thing, but – oh, Lieber. uh, Well, Lieber, James Lieber. And um, he, they would, he would receive a story credit for it. So, so Abrams certainly did uh, uh, help and and contribute to it. But a lot of it came from somebody else, which is great. I mean, if somebody gives you a great idea, run with it. You know. So, um, in uh, 2009, Abrams uh, was hired to reboot the Star Trek franchise, and um, he directed it using Robert writers uh, Robert Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman. Who are now superstars at television? Mm-hmm. Those guys are every every time you turn on something, he they got something to do with it. Um, Abrams' vision, in my opinion, of the crew and the adventures of the Enterprise, hewed pretty closely to Gene Roddenberry's, except uh, in spirit. But there were a lot of twists, like Spock and you and Uhura having a an affair. That was like wow, that was you know big geek news. For <laughs> <laughs> watch it i thought that i just remember thinking that was a great script read because it was a good intro for people who are not familiar with the star that's, trek that's universe, well it so. was it was an origin issue it was how did and we'd never seen anything like that because the the star yeah. trek the original star trek they were already a fate to complete they were already crew in outer space and that uh even from the first uh the first episode so this was great to see them come together and how uh, they didn't like each other and and all that stuff but uh and then he did then i thought the second one he did, uh, Into Darkness, with Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, I have a man crush on Benedict Cumber- Cumberbatch. And I know if if Toby was here, we would argue that uh, that the first Wrath of Khan was better than this one. And Toby, you're wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, this this one was a uh, that was a great also a great reboot. Um, all right, uh, Abrams along with Kurtzman and Orsi wrote Mission Impossible Three after Alias and before Star Trek. You know, one of the harder things to do with this guy is uh, when I was going through it, he's a writer, producer, and director. And so I would think I had all his films, and then I'd look in another section, and there'd be two more or mm-hmm. another television show. Plus, he did multiple shows, things while he was doing other mm-hmm. things. So there's a, it's hard to get a timeline for him. Uh, but um, Mission Impossible 3, uh, the critics were kind of lukewarm about it. Uh, Ooh, I like that one. Carrie Russell's in that one, too. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> but it, That's a it, Philip Seymour often, who's insane. Well, it did $400 million, so nobody gave a shit if uh, the critics liked it or not. The audiences uh, went crazy. Super 8, um, which is his homage to Steven Spielberg, Spielberg, Mm -hmm. was followed to Star Trek. Um, And if you look, I mean, there's, I think, um, Stranger Things owes something to Super 8. Also, I mean, Spielberg, Spielberg, but also to, um, to Abrams, so. A show I didn't watch but was really highly popular um, was Fringe. Um, mm, I heard I, good things. It, yeah, well, you know what? I, I didn't think it lasted that long. It went for five seasons. Um, most of the audience members gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, Is that I, a sci-fi? Mm-hmm. It was on Fox. It was like Anna Tor was in that. Yeah. I forget the other guy. Yeah. It, it, the thing is it was – it had some odd rhythms in the beginning. I watched the first couple episodes and I just didn't fall in love with it. But then, I, like a lot of things, I guess it improved over time. Uh, I know a lot of people were rabid mm-hmm. fringe fringe yeah. fans, um, and and w- I, I'm just astounded. I mean, has, is there anything he's done that hasn't been a hit? Well, there's a couple, but I mean, even his B movie genre films like Joyride had uh, I don't know two sequels to it. Did you know there was a Joyride two and a Joyride three? Yeah. 
Is Dave, I'm sorry, is David Morris the villain in that? In Joyride? Yeah. They don't they don't ever show the villain. Okay. Uh but there's a voice of the villain. It's yeah. a truck. It's basically right, right, a truck right, and right, a trucker. Right, right. I'll have to look. I didn't I didn't see that. Uh Cloverfield, which was another one of his uh concepts. Uh he actually came up with the concept when he was in Jap- Japan with his son and he said, you know, Japan has these great uh super creature villains like Godzilla and King Kong. We need an American version of that. So he created Cloverfield. Um and then there was 10 Cloverfield Lane which is a completely – that's not – has anything to do with Cloverfield, but they've tied it together. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what they call it. Um, uh, there was something – there was a phrase they had, but um, there's one more. Uh, but Bad Robot became involved in, in 10 Cloverfield Lane after the fact. They weren't really part of the production for that. And then um, – what can I say? There's Westworld. Oh, my gosh. She did Westworld? Yeah, what? I didn't know. Wow. <laughs> I know. This is what freaked me out about this guy. I thought I knew. I know. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Westworld ranks as one of the most watched first seasons of HBO original series ever. Because if you watch the first episode, there's no way you can't watch that series. That first episode's so well written, too. Well, and that's Jonathan Nolan. He's a a really good writer. uh, uh, But Bad Robot is involved in that. And, of course, the original... What, did you ever, ever see the original, the Michael Crichton no. version? It was kind of – it was fun, but it was not anything like this Westworld version. Uh, the pilot was uh, – cost $25 million. Wow. Like, yeah, it was their most expensive. Twenty-five. <laughs> no, that's, that's five that's feet. That's, right yeah, there. that's five. That's 25 yeah. movies in yeah. my world. So um, so these are some of the, uh, the, the upcoming um, films for him. Uh, well, he just—they just did Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and there, there's a series called there's something called Glare coming out, um, something called Castle Rock. Um, there's a Cloverfield movie in 2018. These are all 2018, by the way. There's six of them or seven of them, uh, and then well, there's one in 2019. Uh, Overlord, uh, I have no idea. M- uh, Mission Impossible Six, uh, and then Star Wars in 2019, Episode Nine. He just took over for. We were trying to figure out. Uh, nobody looked it up, but. <laughs> <laughs> we were trying to we figure out. You were saying he took over, but didn't he do the last one? Yes, but I mean, he wasn't involved in then something. The the current director dropped out or producer or something. Yeah. I'm not sure what it was, but I'm sure uh, we can. people would uh, write in. But there's also A Woman of No Importance, Half-Life, Coma, Lovecraft Country, and Portal. He's got – how does this guy live? How does he <laughs> exist? He When does he sleep? Um so anyway, he probably just has a really – I mean he's not only very creative. I wonder you know, if he's going to be like one of those guys who we look back in 10 years and say he burned himself out. Uh, Jesus. But I mean, you mentioned he's been working since he was – In college. Yeah, I mean – Or even young, 15. So. He was 15. So yeah, but I mean – I don't know. It's like adrenal glands. You know, if you, if you constantly tap your adrenal glands, you lose, you lose the ability to have any of that adrenaline or something like that. Anyway, I don't know how many points that was. I don't know how long it went, but that's uh, J.J. Abrams. You guys have any anything else you want to add? I mean, isn't he amazing? Uh, just an incredible writer. Oh, yeah. And I hesitated to add him because I thought, well, he hasn't really been around that long, and he doesn't hasn't really done that much. As <laughs> <laughs> he's contributed, yeah, yeah very so much to the space. Yeah, yeah he's um, just done an a lot of great characters. Even with the with the new Star Wars, with um, Ray being the focus of it, and the additional characters, it's hard to insert new characters that people are really going to love into a universe that's so already Absolutely. loved. And uh, and I think that movie uh, was great. Mm. Well, I think we're getting. Uh, we're becoming audiences of tolerance with certain of our our heroes and and uh, favorites because these studios are going crazy with doing whatever they want with these canons. You know, you look at it; the comic book movies really paved the way for that. They just change whatever mm-hmm. they want, or they go back to a, a, a different version or something. Anybody seen going to see the Justice League? No, not a comic, no. not a comic no, book table. I am no, I'm a comic book fan, but I am a little wary of that universe. Mm. Um, well, yeah, but, some other more recent films, but um, well, I actually heard it got decent reviews, so there's potential. Yeah, and Gal Gadot looks great in the trailers I've seen, and what's his name, the hunk of hunk of burned love from uh, Game of Thrones, the he plays uh, Aquaman. Oh, Jason Momoa. Yeah, Momoa. <laughs> he's he's named he's Aquaman. Yeah. 
And so uh, it looks it looks like it might be have potential. So yeah, we'll I, I was I did see that it had gotten that it was sort of a, it was a fun movie overall. And so right. I mean I think that those are sort of strong points for those universes. Even with Thor, the new Thor coming out, yeah. like that ranks as one of the I think funnier um, comic book movies. And so I think which audiences... which I don't like. I don't like when they do. I don't like when they change him that much. I mean he's not the, the god of the god of war or Thor is not a jokester he's just not so i don't mind if (laughs) yeah i guess i guess i guess there's no going back all right well we're going to segue into uh mary claire's uh focus of this week in film history or tv Mm -hmm. history or whatever and uh, what do you got well keeping along with that sort of the supernatural and science fiction um this week november 16th um in 1977 40 years ago close encounters of the third kind premiered Mm. um so director steven spielberg um, really one of, I think the best, most elaborate, you know, science fiction movies ever made and like Star Wars and it premiered a year after, um, I, or Star Wars premiered, yeah, a year before, um, he really drew on sort of the science fiction movies and TV shows of his childhood and you were sort of transported into, um, you know, sort of this different realm. Um, and for me, when I saw it, I saw it in uh, college, it was a, a, an assigned movie, uh, for one of my film classes. And I really thought it was sort of a transformative film. Did you I'm, see it on the big screen? Or? Yeah. Cause yeah. we had to watch it as, you know, we, we did screenings as classes. That's always like my brother's favorite story. Like he came to visit me once in college and he was like, we just went to screenings of movies. Like, so <laughs> I was really excited <laughs> to go, uh, to college. But, um, but yeah, I was really like astounded. Like I said, I think it's a really transformative film. I'd never seen anything like that. And I wasn't a big science fiction fan, but I think that, um, you know, it's, it's just a great movie overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of different hands in the screenplay, but I think it, it really is a story that surprises and still sort of resonates on really deep emotional levels overall. Um, and it was only Spielberg's, um, third film, which wow. I think is pretty incredible. It's amazing. It was, it was astounding to see, especially, at the end, when that spaceship comes over the mountain, oh my God! There were scenes in that that were just—they're so memorable. They'll stick with me right. all my life. So, did you have you seen? Uh... I hate to admit this, but no. Oh, it's a good. You would like it. I mean, again, it's not something. I don't think there are any barriers to you know to it. It's, I think it really is like a universal yeah. film that speaks to a lot of different yeah emotions and and time periods kind of in your life. Yeah, also, I've heard but... it's one of his most personal films. Yeah, so I need well, to it's get on it. to tell you the truth, it's more of a drama than it is anything else yeah. about a guy. I, I always took it to be a guy is trying to figure out his life yeah, and nobody will believe him in the yeah. universe too. Yeah, so. Great um, choice. Great yeah. choice. Um, and then five years, uh, this week is what was also November 16th. Um, kind of getting into sort of the holiday films, uh, silver linings playbook, uh, mm. debuted five years ago. Um, sort of like it, it spans a few different genres. I think like romantic comedy, drama, <laughs> Uh, written and directed by David O. Russell. It was adapted by uh, the Silver Linings Playbook, um, but it really is kind of about, you know, this blossoming relationship between Bradley Cooper's character and his sort of troubled neighbor, Jennifer Lawrence, as they kind of come to grips with their, you know, respective broken hearts. But it's also about mental illness, um, mm-hmm. you know, damaged goods, and, and how, I don't know, that, that experiences with your family. And, um, and it really has sort of really high highs and low lows so that was one of my favorite movies that year Mm. yeah i i enjoyed it i thought it was a good movie um i I, it it was hard to kind of find my your level in it initially but then once you got Mm -hmm. in tune with the characters it it flowed yeah how about that how about how about you shadi did you see it i did see it Um, (laughs) i saw it because everyone was talking about it and i know jennifer lawrence she got an oscar right yeah she won that she year. won the oscar for that um i love chris tucker and it it's a really chris tucker was a lot of fun yeah he was good the father-son dynamic between bradley cooper and robert de niro yeah, yeah i think that's really one of good. de niro's better yeah. films honestly i think he's really really great but in that film you can't say that <laughs> he's good in a lot of films he's good in he's, he's academy in award winning in yeah de niro. <laughs> that's, 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 i think it's one of his good films oh, okay like with that yeah, like God. Um, Did you see Raging Bull? Yeah, of course. Okay, just <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Yeah, that's another good film of his. No, it's a great film. Yeah. That's a great, great film. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. All Taxi right, Driver's good too. Yeah. <laughs> you can't handle that film, but yeah. <laughs> the guy's a, the guy's an amazing actor. Well, of course he was tuned. He was to, um, 
joined with uh, Scorsese for so many years. They, they made yeah. a wonderful. That's wonderful a, I, I guess I kind of might. It's one of his better films in these past, you know, maybe like yeah, that, that makes yes. No. Mm-hmm. Well, meet the parents. I mean, come on. No, I'm kidding. I don't, yeah, that's about ten recent. years. I know. I was going to say that's like 15 years old now. <laughs> oh my God! Point. Really? Yeah. Yes. Where? Yes. Wow. No wonder I wake up every day looking at an older me and I don't realize where that came from. <laughs> okay. Well, great. Those are two great uh, movies. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, if you guys have any suggestions or comments about films we should profile or anything we should do, uh, MC, you want to tell them where they can? Yeah, uh, you can reach us at plotpoints.com or call us, leave us a voicemail, any type of feedback. You can leave it at 919-SCRIPTS. Uh, we are always looking for your questions and feedback, so please do call in. Yeah, uh, call in. Please, please, please. We, we'd love to hear from you. Um, okay, so we're going to go into the Q&A now. Do we have uh, questions that we want? Sure, I'll start. Okay. So, um, a reader question, and this ties in nicely with Clue and um, and also with um, Murder on the Orient Express, is how, how would you approach writing a story with multiple main characters? Wow. Uh, I would probably pick one focal character and then uh, – but, I mean, to me, multiple main characters lead to no emotional depth. I would point to something like L.A. Confidential where there are three main characters characters right and there. and i've done that i've broken that film mm-hmm. down before and what they represent are the past present and future of the lapd so in that case you can uh write their own storylines they have to have their own storylines they have to have their own arcs like the mm-hmm. past is the um the uh what's his name russell uh crow character and so he resolves all they all resolve Exley resolves they all resolve but it's – I think if you go much beyond a couple characters, it's really hard. Like for sometimes uh, romantic comedies have mm-hmm. – bo- uh, like in The Sure Thing, I would argue that both those characters are main characters mm-hmm. to a certain extent because they both have arcs. They both change. Um, but I think it's really difficult to do. I think it's hard. It's one of those things that you really have to work hard to accomplish because our natural bent is to want to follow one character on his or her journey. So as long as you have the storylines, uh, I think you need to tie it to theme, what you're trying to say with those characters. You can't just write four characters and then say, okay, each of these characters has a story because then you have something like Love Actually, mm-hmm. which is, you know, and I didn't get, I liked the movie, but I didn't get emotionally involved in anybody's story. There's another one called, really? Con- yeah, there's oh a, my gosh, I didn't just oh, I, well, not compared to his other stuff. Um, there's also one called Conception. Uh, that was about four different couples trying to conceive. One uh, one couple was a lesbian couple. They were using a turkey baster. The there was a newly married couple. There was so, but again, you don't. There are vignettes. They don't get you emo. There's no journey to follow as strongly as uh, as some as a central character. So Kevin, yeah, I think it's a matter of working, as you said, like each subplot's story arc, the beginning, middle, the end, and then interweaving them. So hopefully that the thematic right. elements time together. Each established sort of the theme in another subplot so um i read something like on a practical level like steven bochco like he would came up with and i think you know this system like uh cracking shows like nypd blue Mm -hmm. he would color code these three by five index cards um and then you designate one color for each subplot Mm -hmm. and then work through each subplots like major beats and then cross cut each of them and he said it it was more simple um once you had sort of the structure down with all these different storylines and that a lot of TV writers still sort of approach structuring their scripts that way for some of those type mm-hmm. of shows. I but, like that kind of style mm-hmm. of vignettes because I feel like it's more like present of how the real world works. Like in, in life, you know, there's a lot of different people and, and and I just think like there's more to actually enjoy in a film when there's different characters. Yeah, but that's not why I go to the movies. I mean <laughs> I go to the movies to follow one character, their journey uh-huh. To become emotionally involved in their struggle, and but uh, the more characters you have to be involved mm-hmm. with, the more real the world seems. Not for me. Oh. I, I don't mind a lot of characters in a script, but a, a central character in my for me is just yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, good, co- great question. That's hard, that's hard to answer because um, I don't do too much of that to tell you the truth, and uh, I haven't really studied it. But I would say what you said was right. You make sure their their storylines are good thematically in, uh, integral and then you make sure they're woven together in order to create one mm-hmm. consistent storyline um so okay any other questions shadia yeah i have a question um my question's about transitions okay um how much does the screenwriter take control of that and then how much is it uh, dependent on the filmmaker to take control of that 
when you're saying transitions, do you mean yeah. the physical film transition? Well, like when you're writing in between a scene, like do you have to think of like what's the best way to take us from one scene to yes. the next scene, or is that up to the filmmaker? Well, um, I'm going to be careful here because you're a director, but I don't like leaving things up to the director. Yeah. Not because I don't think they're creative, but they're not invested in the script the same way that I am as the writer. So I want to I want to control every aspect of the script. And if a director comes in and makes it better, great. My experience has been a lot of times the directors make it worse because um, I always analogize it to comedy. If you write comedy and you start out one month and you write a joke and then two months later you're looking at that joke, it no longer seems funny. Because you're, you've seen it so many times, and so then you want to go change it, and you're, you're changing stuff that was really good. And directors, I think, sometimes walk in, uh, have, a, have a moment of, well, I didn't – this is obviously – I can make this better and stuff. So transitions, um, in my opinion, I always try to transition every – you know, when I write a movie, I try to write the, uh, I try to write the whole thing in my head. I take every – I don't do uh, shots and stuff like that, but the way I write it suggests the shots. So if I say uh, we're looking at L.A. from the from the top of a building, obviously you're going to do some sort of bird's eye view or something like that or forced perspective or something. So I try to write it the way that I see it, and then when a director walks in, if the, my work has suggested the transitions, uh, that's fine. But, you know, directors have a different – uh, directors are visual people. They have a different approach to uh, to story. I'm not as visually oriented. I'm more narrative oriented. Well, I bring that up because I always come back to the film Lawrence of Arabia. Like David Lean, he was really well known for this. So I'm just always wondering, like, I haven't seen the script. How much was that the director's choice to use those transitions or was that in the screenwriter's, you know, vision? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I love that movie, by the way. I haven't seen the script, but the thing is, is film is so collaborative. Um, it's impossible to separate yeah, where true. you start and where the director right. ends. Or so, um, but the best the best of all worlds is when you write a great script and then you get a director who gets your vision and then adds or or enhances it. Okay. So I'm not opposed to any collaborative effort like that. But I think that the original because don't forget the first, you're a unique filmmaker. You're writing and directing your own stuff. But most of the time, the process is you write the script, it goes to a director um, and or a producer or whatever, and then it's turned into something. So I want the control. I want, I want every aspect of my script to be as compelling and as tight and, and as possible. So that includes transitions. In fact, a lot of times what I see in beginning writers is they don't end their scenes correctly. You know, right. and that leads to just bad transitions because right. you're not tying up that moment or or compelling me to go to the next scene. And so, anyway, does that? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, anything else? No. All right. Good. Two questions this week. That's cool. All right. So, um, thank you guys for uh, for being here uh, this week again, uh, Mary Claire. Welcome back again, mm-hmm. as we. We welcomed you back last time, but uh, it's always good to see you across the welcome table. Thank you. And <laughs> welcome back to Shadia. Thank you. And welcome back to Shadia. No, Shadia, we, uh, I think Mary Claire uh, uh, really enjoys uh, seeing your smiling face from across the table, <laughs> as do I. Toby's got a very compelling smile, but he's just not quite as, not as good. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's it for us this week. Uh, thanks to my co-host, uh, Mary Claire Anderson Van Kempen. Um, who, who is, uh, you know, I had to, I had to study that last name. There was something about it. I just could not remember it, but love Mike. So, uh, I did it for him, not for you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Sh- uh, Shadia Sapernia, uh, who came in and just uh, knocked us dead again. Uh, thanks for, uh, for taking the time out on, uh, on today to come and be with us, Shadia. Thanks for having me back. And, uh, the contributions you made to the podcast. Um, if you have it in your mind to uh, want to call us or talk to us or contact us, uh, where can they do that, MC? Yeah, you can reach us at platpoints.com or leave us a, a message uh, and feedback at 919scripts. Okay, and then don't forget OC Screenwriters, which is um, the organization that we all participate in. And um, if you need to keep up with us, then go to the website, sign up for the newsletter, and uh, we'll send – we don't – spam you or anything like that we only send out newsletters if there's an important announcement and we do have some big things coming up so it would behoove you to do that uh thanks again to all our uh veterans 
for your contributions and also to all our hosts, I mean, um, uh, listeners, fans of the podcast. It's really great to know that I, I'm so glad to have put uh, some faces to the amorphous fan <laughs> uh, thing, but it's nice to kind of visualize you guys listening to the podcast while we're while we're doing it. So, uh, thanks again to everybody. Toby, um, come back home, come back safe. We missed you, but uh, we'll see you probably uh, very soon. And then, will you be here for the next one, Mary Claire? I'm on my honeymoon for three weeks. Right. Okay, so that covers the next cast. So, okay, so we'll probably uh, grab uh, Larry Porcelli because we'll be doing it at his offices. But. Uh, Anyway, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Um, you know, be inspired. Do good work. <laughs>